together on your wireless for 30 minutes of profanity, alcoholism, rambling, and a really good time. But remember, this show isn't for all members of the family. In fact, don't let your parents know you listen at all. This week on Peggy's Mountain Cast... He just walks in the room, puts his gold belt on and sits down. For absolutely no given reason whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I see why you would say that, definitely. I do agree, yeah, okay. The sound dubbing. What a crock of shit. <laughs> and we've turned! Alright, hello and welcome to another episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. And I'm Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about the telly. Yes, hello to you. Thank you for joining us for our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. By the way, if you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes. Uh, there you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we sever all ties with good taste, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Well, I've gone for something different. Variety is the spice of life. So uh-huh. I'm drinking port. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Kenny's on the port. I am, I am on the port. Yeah. Cockburns. Oh. Cockburns port. Hmm? What about you? Marvellous stuff. Um, I am on the Atlantic Pale Ale. Oh, oh, Atlantic. Yes, I like that. So, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do for, for tonight, I think. That'll hit the spot. Absolutely, it will. All right. Get your laughing gear around the first point of order for tonight's little meeting. <laughs> Yes, this is Johnny Briggs, a series created for children's BBC One, based on uh, Joan Eddington's books. This stars Richard Holian as Johnny, with Jane Lowe and Leslie Schofield as his mum and dad, respectively. It's a sort of light-hearted kitchen sink drama, based in suburban Yorkshire. This is Series 1, Episode 1, first broadcast in November 1985. Um, can I pass to you for a moment, Dr Velvet? Can you, can. you tell us about the events of this series opener? <laughs> I can. Uh, OK. So... There's a lot of confusion at tea time. All right, the family have their tea. Uh, Not dinner, tea. Tea, of course. We're up north here. And yeah. uh, Johnny puts on a gold belt. And uh, there's we'll much, get to that. Well, there's much musings about uh, a rabbit um, because Johnny effectively wants to... In the, This is his, his ambition is to bring home the school rabbit during the holidays. So a plan is right. forming. And... Um, and the dog Razzle eats uh, the gingerbread men. See, Ken, I told you that someone knew what was going on in this episode. I didn't. Right. right. Uh- <laughs> did you? At what point did you start to glaze over? Uh, uh, within about a minute. Why? I mean, uh, why? Before we even get started, mm. I was speaking to um, to Mrs. Blackout about this. I said we were going to be covering Johnny Briggs. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, what, with his uh, with his golden belt? And I went, you what? And she goes, you know, Johnny Briggs with his golden belt. And I'm like, 
I, I don't know what you, I don't, I don't know what that is. And she says, yeah, you do, it's from the book, Johnny Briggs and his golden belt. I'm like, ah, oh, now, I remember the TV show. I hadn't read any of the books. I know the books existed, but I hadn't read them. I was going to ask and you that, goes, if you were familiar with the books before the TV show. No, no, and she goes, oh, no, because he's got, like, a special golden belt. Either he makes it or his dad makes it or something. And I thought, oh, maybe that's going to be sort of part of the first, you know, maybe that would be a good a good way to sort of bring this over to the live-action television domain, surely, have an episode where, no, 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 he just walks in the room, puts his gold belt on and sits down. For absolutely no given reason whatsoever. (laughs) As if I'm supposed to know what the bloody fuck is going on. Yeah. First off, Mm. none of the characters here are introduced properly. I mean, it's relatively clear who they all are. I get that. We're We're dropped in sort of in medias res. I appreciate that. Then they just amble along, not really doing anything. But, but, the characters, okay, so, oh, hello, our Rita. Oh, hello, our Albert. There's an introduction. What more do you want? What more do you want? I'd like to see something happening <laughs> other than just chatting in the kitchen, just about what's... It's, is this all incidental dialogue and no events? Uh, no, well, all right, yeah. Yeah, it is, all right, okay. <laughs> this programme is a handful of people bellowing across one echoey set where all of the audio is recorded by a single condenser mic. Every rattle, clatter and clang of incidental set noise is reproduced at the same volume as the speech. This is intolerable. But isn't that the same in every house in the north? (laughs) Every house in the north is recorded on on one single condenser mic? It does feel like a great way to indoctrinate the young audience into the utter fucking inanity of soap operas. To add to it, all right, now I will explain uh, that you and I are both from the North. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what it is, but I needed subtitles to understand Johnny Briggs. That's not because of his, that's not because of what he's saying, that's because of the audio quality. Well, there's that, but... He's just yellow, he's just, yeah. his face isn't the camera, he's just yellowing round a large cavernous set where the sound is bouncing off every hard painted surface... Nothing he says is of any relevance anyway, because the next line that comes up does not interact with what he's just said. No, well, God no. Almighty! And then they go into the school, which is now. Uh, child actors are often challenging to watch at the best of times. Agreed. This feels this feels like the casting director picked up half of them at a stroke ward. Mm. This makes Biker Grove look like The Empire Strikes Back. In all <laughs> honesty. Uh huh. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of Star Wars, by the way, yeah. um, Johnny Briggs' dad is played by Leslie Schofield. He worked on the Death Star as Chief Bast. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, if if he died in the Battle of Yavin, which we don't see, but it, it is implied, um, then Johnny Briggs would be a prequel to A New Hope, wouldn't it? God, yeah. But then you got to bear in mind that Leslie Schofield was also in EastEnders later, chatting up Pauline Fowler, round about at the same time where Admiral Piet from Empire and Jedi was in it as well. So my question, in Johnny Briggs and EastEnders, do they not have Star Wars? Or if they do, do they just watch it and not notice the similarities to people they know? I would like it if there was a scene where Johnny Briggs' dad was watching Star Wars and he looks around and he goes, I'm in this, and the family just ignore him as if he said nothing. <laughs> oh, no, wait, that's all, that's all of the dialogue anyway, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. I do think that F- Fizzy the dog who plays Razzle in this, is yeah. arguably the best actor on account of having the most believable delivery. It ate those uh, gingerbread men right on cue. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 
You hate this, don't you? <laughs> I've even skipped over my first point. My first point in the notes is why it's like it's some like his third or fourth line of dialogue where Johnny Briggs he walks he walks into the yard, he closes the gate behind him, he says hello to the dog, and then he shouts anyone home in his own house. Why is he shouting anyone home in his own house when the door is unlocked? Yeah. Okay. Is, is this the old days when you can leave your door open? That's right. Is, right, hang on. Is the war on? <laughs> is that it? Right? <laughs> eee, Christ. I, yeah, I didn't get on with this. It has to be said. I may have... I may, I may have, have shot me load already with that one. <laughs> well, no, I mean... I get it. I did watch this back in the day, and I, I didn't mind it at all. It's... I'm, it, I didn't it was, mind it at all back in the day. I have no idea why. It's too accurate for me. Um, Were we really th- that starved of culture that we thought this was acceptable in nineteen? It's nineteen eighty-five. This went out. Yeah. Not nineteen seventy-nine. Yeah. We this is you know we had neon and shoulder pads. We did. I I watched this and kind even then I thought it's very evocative. Uh, I think they got certain things right. Okay, so maybe not right. a lot not a lot happened, but they did get a lot right in terms of characterization. Uh-huh. Still to this day, Johnny Briggs's older brother Albert, I hated him then, because he's written in such a way and indeed performed in such a way that he's annoying, and you know he's devious, and you know he's one of those people. I mean, I don't have any siblings, so I wasn't used to this, but I I kind of knew of people like this who was just yes. a, a conniving person who would be just <laughs> nasty for nasty's sake. I hated Albert. I hated Albert the actor. Put that across really well. So you are you are thinking, have they cast this with someone who's really, really good? Or have they just cast it with someone who was perfect to begin with? I'd, well, yeah. You know, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. But he's the absolute bully, and he plays that really well. So, uh-huh. too, um, okay, so we go to Johnny's class at the primary school, and the two girls in the class, Ginny and Josie, yeah. uh-huh. I had a Ginny and Josie in my class, and I hated them. Um, they it's were basically it, like if if The Shining was set in Yorkshire. Yeah, it is. Um, but is that phrase, isn't there? Whereby, whenever you're getting revenge, if someone's like throws something at you, they they're not seen by the teacher. But you go to get them back. It's you that's always seen by the teacher, and you get into trouble. I think you're describing my childhood, but yes, right. Um, <laughs> so. That that, for me, that, that Ginny and Josie, they were those two people. They had they were devils. They were devils. Yet uh-huh. the teacher saw them through rose tinted specks, and I yep. just thought, when, teacher, when will you see the truth about these people, mind? Because they uh-huh. they ah oh, no. And Ginny and Josie were that, <laughs> and they were they're written brilliantly uh, in that respect. Miss Broom, fantastic name for a teacher. Uh, yes. I thought. She, I thought she, her acting was good. I thought she very convincing as a primary school teacher. Very, although didn't agree too much about the whole shaming of Johnny when she pulls out an apple core from his pencil case and uh-huh. defers to him as disgusting. Um, uh-huh. You wouldn't. You she, wouldn't. And, she's, and she basically goes, "What's this disgusting thing?" And you don't know what she's going to pull out yet. And you're like, "Oh my god, he's called Johnny Briggs for a reason. He leaves used condoms everywhere." Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, <laughs> So that was a bit, yeah. The gold belt, yeah. A, a little nod to fandom, 
I guess there was already a, a pre-fandom with the books. I didn't realise it was a book until years and years later. Um, so I guess that's just a little nod. Either that or the kid is obsessed with Wonder Woman. I think the books, I believe the books started, it was either sort of 77, 79. Right. So it was still a relatively new thing by the time they adapted it for TV. But obviously the books were successful enough, there's enough of them, mm. that they're like, yeah, yeah, let's put this on the telly, this'll be great. Um, the Harry I'm Potter not- of its day. So, so snarkiness aside, I'm not entirely convinced this translates well to the screen. Obviously it worked well enough back in the day, you know, it ran for long enough. Um, I don't think it's aged particularly well. No, aesthetically it hasn't, certainly not. Um, it might be worth bearing in mind that Richard Holian, who played Johnny Briggs, has two IMDb credits, right? One mm. as Johnny Briggs, and two on the 2017 episode of Pointless Celebrities for playing Johnny Briggs. That's it. Was he? This, bas- was- this basically scarred him, and he's like, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing any more of that shit. <laughs> Did he um, did he did he go on pointless celebrities? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, just the one episode. Yeah, it was basically well, an episode where they had um, you know sort of stars from kids TV programs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that was it. Wow, okay. bless him, bless yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. If you uh, the sister, if you're listening, Richard, this is nothing against you. It is. It, it, There's nothing against you. It's more the program that you agreed to front. Uh, it, it reflects on you. It's not about you, but it is. Don't listen to Nasty Blackout. Don't listen <laughs> to Nasty Blackout. Don't listen to me. It's a canny programme. There you are. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there we are. All right. Okay. Johnny Briggs then. I think he gets a bit of a... From us, doesn't it? Really. Well, from you, certainly. Uh, yes, from me, certainly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. How many pegs would you put up on the line? Johnny Briggs, I give no frigs. It's two out of nine. Okay. That's right, listener. That's right. This is worse than the animated Mork and Mindy. Right, right, right. That's that is that that's serious stuff. How, how about yourself? That is serious stuff. It certainly is. Um, mm, for me, I don't know. Um, again, I allow emotion to creep into things and sentiment. So, I'll give it a. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a five because it's... Good Lord, Ken. Yeah. yeah. Ken, have you been spiking his drinks? <laughs> five. 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 Because My word. I, okay. It's, it's, got, uh, it's got something there which makes you think, oh, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Okay. I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Peg's on the line. Um, how many steps will it take you to yodel up the mountain? I can do it in three. Okay. Johnny's mother was played by Jane Law, who also appeared in an episode of Hetty Winthrop Investigates with Patricia Routledge, who starred in the Tales of the Unexpected's The Verger, written by Roald Dahl, who was also the author of Matilda, whose 1992 audiobook release was narrated by Peggy Mount. Let me take that burden from you, Miss Milton. That is well done. That is well done. How about yourself? How many steps can you uh, yodel up the mountain in? Two. Oh, go for it. All right, Johnny's dad was, as mentioned, played by Leslie Schofield, an actor who starred in the Sherlock Holmes episode, The Boscombe Valley Mystery, alongside Peter Vaughan, who was in 1976's Spice Island Farewell, with Peggy Mount. (laughs) 
know me, gentle as a lamb. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff indeed. Oh, tell you what, let's have a couple of minutes. Our Albert, put the kettle on. Speak to us, Sydney. Are you there, Sydney? Are you there, Sydney? Somebody somewhere is having a toffee crisp. Mr. Soft, won't you tell me why the world in which you're living is so strange? Oh, Mr. Soft, how come everything around you is so soft and rearranged? Bite through the shell of a tree bore spearmint soft mint and everything turns chewy and soft. They're crispy on the outside, chewy on the inside. There we are. Lovely. Buy the things. Buy the things. Buy the things. Buy them things. So before we press on um, to the next little show that's going under the microscope, um, Blackout, um, are you in a position to stand and deliver? You've got something in your hands there. I certainly have. We've had a letter. Oh, always nice when we get a letter. Yes, it is. Thank you, Mr. Postman. I'm um, uh, right. <clears throat> Let's read this. Your Excellencies. That sounds promising. I have been a fan of your podcast for many years now, and particularly enjoy your deep dives into your own and young twice. I am an aficionado of showbiz memorabilia, and over the year have amassed a substantial collection of underwear worn by the cast, which I display in my home museum. I never usually wear these, of course, but I enclose photographs of me. N- never mind. Let me let me just file that. We'll put that in this special. Um... Yeah, I think that's safely. We can look. We can read that later. Uh, let Let's crack on, shall we? Can take that out. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree with that. Okay. Um, Rumor has it that uh, somewhere in York, there's a lady called Mary, and Mary loves Dick. <laughs> Yes, Dick Turpin. Made for London Weekend Television from 1979 to 1982, this ran for 31 episodes over four series. It starred Richard O'Sullivan as the infamous real-life highwayman, with Michael Deeks as his sidekick, Swiftnick, and David Dacre as their nemesis, Captain Spiker. This is Series 1, Episode 6, The Blacksmith, originally broadcast on the 10th of February 1979, written by Richard Carpenter, directed by Charles Crichton. In it, Dick has to spring his friend Sam Morgan, the titular blacksmith, out of prison to recover some loot that he's been mining for him. Captain Spiker, however, isn't so keen on the idea. So, did you want to set fire to this as well, as Johnny Briggs? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that title sequence. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. One shot, Mm -hmm. one take, Mm -hmm. at night. Mm -hmm. They need the, the director of photography on set but no need to pay an editor for it. It's just one thing. It explains exactly what a highwayman is for anyone who doesn't know. Okay, mate, that's great, yeah. Um, Nice aesthetic, though, the night. It works. It's not easy to film at night. 
Yeah, no, 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 exactly that. Um, I used to like, oh, what I will say is I used to like Dick Turpin enough to have the 1981 annual, although I can't remember if I asked for that or if I was just given it at Christmas by relatives who didn't want to risk doubling up on Star Wars stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's fair and I was, I, I, I really, I did used to like this enough that I remember once writing, not a story, mm-hmm. I, I wrote an essay on Highwaymen based entirely at home not at school i sat down in my free time and wrote an essay on high women based entirely on facts i'd learned from the dick turpin annual nice i like that i like that it's got incredible theme music i absolutely adore this theme music did you um did you look up who it was by i didn't actually know all i know is okay. that I, 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 I <laughs> did you want to do that quickly and drop that in i don't know just a... <laughs> well well i'll tell you why no it's a kind of t- theme music that I would play each time I went to the toilet. <laughs> it's as simple as that. <laughs> I would. I would. Um, okay, so Richard O'Sullivan, unlikely hero, I would suggest. Is very much is very much the David Essex of ITV Saturday nights, is he not? Isn't he though? Um but but yeah. Um star of sitcom, many a sitcom. There he is launched into this this hero role. He plays it well. I think he carries it off. Who is it that's looked at Robin out of Robin's Nest and gone, well, there's the series lead for our highwayman drama right there, mate? Well, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But he, he <laughs> bless bless him, he makes it work. You know? Um, <sighs> but he was a bit of a heartthrob when he, in Man About the House. Granted, that was like eight years prior. But yeah, yeah. Oh Maybe no, he's, I don't. I'm not doubting his heartthrob status. That's fine. Mm. I don't think he's got the dramatic gravitas. He's sort of got to be a bit of a badass as a highwayman. He's the essential anti-hero. He has his moments. He has his moments. Uh. When, he's, when he's got his boot on that blacksmith's throat, or when he's on the floor, I think. Ooh, I, I don't think I'd mess with uh, Robin Tripp. I sort of picture him more as a sort of Scarlet Pimpernel character. He'd be winning through charm rather than brute force. Yeah, I see why you would say that, definitely. I do agree, yeah, okay. The sound dubbing. What a crock of shit. (laughs) And we've turned! Yeah, carry on. (laughs) The first shot we get of, of Dick and Swiftnick hiding in the bushes, obviously there's probably the noise of traffic in the background, um, depending on where they were filming. Or, yeah. or trees rustling, whatever. So, all right, we'll do that. We'll dub that in post. Yeah, badly. You just, you just—they haven't put any ambience. They haven't mixed any ambience into it. It's just voices, which are clearly in a soundproofed booth. The mix is horrendous. <laughs> you seem to be suggesting that there's some level of post-production involved in this. Can I draw your attention to in the in the bit where they have the the fight in the blacksmith's house, uh-huh. his workshop, whatever, and. Dick Turpin, our title character, he turns around and he says, and I quote, if I ever catch eyes on you again. Now, when you write that down, you look at it, okay, right, you can have, if I ever catch you again. That's right. Or you can have, if I ever set eyes on you again. Mm. But no, he's going, if I ever catch eyes. Was this entire series assembled from first takes? He's turned around, he's gone, can we, can we, can we do that again? And the director's like, nah, we've got it now. Oh, but I said that I don't care. That what you said is what goes in the final thing. Think of it like improv, Richard, on stage. That's it. What you say is what goes. That's fucking it. Say your next line. 
Dick Turpin feels like it was shot for £50 after hours at a National Trust estate with the costume box from the original Dark series. Yeah, and it probably was. It's effectively, thinking about televisual drama, Robin of Sherwood meets Lovejoy, somehow existing before either of them. I've never heard anything so perfect. This is like... it. By the time you put the hats on them, this is like Adam and the Ants cosplaying Last of the Summer Wine. It's just people shrieking and falling over things for the entire episode. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. It, it is farcical, mind. There is a lot of farce in this. It did occur to me while I was watching this, why the living hell does he keep calling his sidekick Swift Nick rather than just Nick? Yeah. It wasn't until I saw it written down that his name is Swift Nick, all one word. So I was thinking, it, it's not even like he uses turns around every time he says it and says, Oh, all right then, Dickless Turpin. <laughs> yes, yes. However, when Swiftnick pronounces his own name, he introduces himself to Sir John Glutton. He calls himself, and he pronounces it thus, Swiftnick. There is a pause. But you're right. So I was correct in print, then. Thank you very much. Yeah, That's fine. Okay. In, in print, it's all one word. Um, uh, so, okay. So I don't know. I don't know. don't know how that's working. Sir John Glutton, by the way, played, played by Christopher Benjamin. Um, yes. That man um, caused me to love red wine like I do. <laughs> Not even joking. We thank you for that, Christopher. Thank you. Not even joking. My liver hates Christopher <laughs> Benjamin. So when I was a kid, I was I was fascinated by this red stuff that he was drinking, and I thought it was Ribena. And right. I, uh, you got to remember, I was like six, seven years old when this, when I was watching this, and I used to drink lots and lots and lots of Ribena because he drank it, uh-huh. and he was drinking it with such relish. It must be such a, and it looked lovely and refreshing in that beautiful yeah, cut yeah. glass, and uh, yeah, yeah, it came from that. And yet, how do we salute him tonight with a beer and a glass of port? I'm not sure if he'd approve. No, he probably wouldn't. He's probably on the port once the camera stopped. I think. Yeah, probably. Oh, that's a poor drinker's nose that he's got there, without a doubt. Um, Absolutely that. <laughs> yeah. Bit of Dickensian um, technique there, calling him Sir John Glutton, because he is always eating. Absolutely. He's always yeah, eating. Yeah. This is perfect viewing for a Saturday tea time, I think. And it I, is. Um, it's it's just it's a swashbuckling romp. There's nothing in there to be taken seriously. There's no overriding story arcs throughout the series. There's none of that. Do you know what it is? It's a laugh. And I think for that... It works. That period of history, I would have loved to have lived the life of a highwayman. Carefree existence. What? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't mean I don't mean a criminal, but what I mean is that carefree bohemian living outdoors, living off the land, just whatever. What um, you mean is what you mean is you'd have been stopping carriages in the dead of night and shouting who wants dick. Alright, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's for a different episode. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would like... I see where you're coming from. I would have enjoyed this more if... I don't know, I couldn't get into it. That's all. I can see what it's trying to do. A lot of the time on this show, we tend to go for series one, episode one, which doesn't always work well Mm. because things haven't really bedded in. By this point, it had bedded in. I expect a show that's bedded in to work with a bit more flow than this. Right. Yeah, it's sort of fine. I can see what it's aiming at, but I'd have preferred it had it not felt like it was filmed out of the back of Lord Chantry's stately home while he's like taking 30 quid in his back pocket for it. Mm-hmm. it. It feels very taped together. Um, in Not not even so much in the sets and the costumes, but definitely the stories and the performances. Mm-hmm. 
I yeah. wasn't um I wasn't feeling the love for I wasn't feeling the love for Dick this time around. <laughs> right, right. No, it's fair comment, fair comment. To be honest, it's very unlike a show that I would normally gel with as a rule. Uh, but I don't know, something about it struck a chord. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think it was usually on in the summer. And every time you bought an issue, a look in. Oh, Sullivan was on the damn cover when this was going. By God, they were Absolutely. pushing this. Were they not? I think I think he was the editor of Looking. <laughs> I only found out recently, you know, he wrote the theme tune for Robin's Nest. There you go. There we have it. <laughs> Bit of trivia there. Okay, Peg's on the line for um, Dick Turpin. How many? I'm giving it best one in the world. Four out of nine. Did not enjoy. Four's not bad yourself? for someone. If you didn't enjoy it, four's not bad, I have to say. That's that's fair enough. Uh, I'm, I'm going with another five. I'm going with another five. It, it doesn't hold up well, but uh, I do have a little bit of sentiment for it. And I always wanted to... I just like the capes. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're back to the capes again. We're back to the capes. I love, it. I love a cape, me. What everyone wants to know, however, mm. is how many steps... Would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, putting my cape on, let me tell you, I can do it in one. If you can do it in one, I'll give you the money myself. No problem, Mr Dennis. Here we go. So, this episode of Dick Turpin stars Christopher Benjamin, who starred in the Monsoon Man storyline of The Tomorrow People, along with Peggy Mount. Well, what's wrong with your purple PVC? Fantastic work. Mm-hmm. What about you? I, in the meanwhile, can also do it in one. Oh. I shall, uh, I shall put my cape on. <clears throat> Dick Turpin is played by Richard O'Sullivan, of course, who appeared in ITV's 1980 spectacular Night of 100 Stars with Peggy Mount. Was he going to wear a lilac caftan? Beautiful. So there we go. Dicks and Johnnies uh, for this week's episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Yes, thanks for stopping by, dear listener. You can find us at the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes for this episode. It's as simple as that. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep, keep mounting. The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from Michael Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.